reading this morning will be taken from John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship together. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me to the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to be studying together this morning in the verse that was just read for us, John chapter 8, and looking at verse number 12. If you'll turn there, John chapter 8 and verse number 12. It's in that verse where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whenever Jesus spoke those words in John chapter 8 and verse 12, if you back up just a little bit to John chapter 7 and verse number 2, the Apostle John records for us that the Jews' feast of booths, or some translations might say the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. The Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long annual celebration for the Jewish people. It was commanded in the Old Testament. You can read about it in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, or Deuteronomy chapter 16. It was a week-long celebration when the grapes and olives, the harvest was brought in. It was celebrated at the very end of their calendar year. In terms of its popularity, it was very popular. Jews from all over the place would travel to the city of Jerusalem to spend this week in their holy city. You find in John chapter 7 and verse 10, even Jesus went to the city of Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Feast of Booths. He didn't do it publicly. John tells us that he did it privately. During the Feast of Booths, one thing that you find is that the Jews would build booths. Like you see up on the screen, they would build it out of sticks and branches and leaves, temporary structures that they would live in throughout the week. It reminded them of what their ancestors did in the Exodus. Whenever they were led out of their slavery in the land of Egypt and they were being led towards the promised land, they lived in these temporary structures. Structures made out of leaves and sticks and branches Whenever they lived in those structures, whenever they built those structures, they were remembering what their ancestors had done. It was a time of great joy. It was a time of great celebration. A big part of that celebration was called the illumination of the temple. It was a lamp lighting ceremony that happened every evening in the court of women in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Not only would every single person there have a torch that was lit in their hand as they worshiped God and praised God and danced throughout the night, celebrated throughout the night, but as you can see depicted up on the screen, there were also four 75-foot tall oil-fed lamps that not only lit up the temple, but it lit up the entire city of Jerusalem. There are some who witnessed this back in the first century who are recorded as saying that these lamps lit up every single courtyard in the city of Jerusalem. It overcame the darkness of the night sky and provided a great light. 
As they went through the illumination of the temple ceremony, it reminded them of the pillar of fire by which God led the Israelites in the Exodus. You can read about that in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. Remember, as God led His people through the wilderness, He led them by day with a cloud and by night with a pillar of fire. Whenever the Israelites followed that pillar of fire which overcame the darkness and gave light to their path, they were following God. They were going in the direction that God wanted them to go. They were traveling in the direction that God wanted them to travel. And so during the Feast of Booze, when the Israelites would look up at these 75 foot tall oil fed lamps, they would be reminded of God's presence in their lives. They would be reminded of God's guidance. They would be reminded of how important it was to follow God in everything that they did. You keep reading in John chapter 7, you eventually come to verse number 37 where it's the last day of the Feast of Booths, which was the greatest day of the Feast of Booths. Apparently they did save the best for last whenever it came to this week-long celebration. For seven days they've been celebrating this festival. Every night they came into the temple in the court of women and they celebrated with the illumination of the temple. The lights from the lamps lit up not only the temple, but also the entire city of Jerusalem. And it reminded them of the pillar of fire. It reminded them of how important it was to follow God, to follow God's guidance. It's in that context where Jesus speaks these words in John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. It's not that Jesus is the light of the temple, like those 75 foot tall lamps were. It's not that Jesus was the light of Jerusalem that lasted only for a week, but then it was gone. You had to wait until the next year for it to come back. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Just like the lamp shined into the darkness of the sky at night, Jesus says, I'm the light that shines into this dark and evil, this sinful and wicked world. If you go a little bit earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John says, in Him, in Jesus was life, and that life was what? The light of men. What does the light do? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Speaking to this crowd who had been celebrating the Feast of Booths, says, I want you to understand who I am. You've been celebrating around these lamps that lit up the entire city of Jerusalem. I want you to know that I'm the light of the world. But Jesus not only discusses who He is, He not only discusses His identity, but notice as He continues, He also wants us to understand what He can offer to us. What He can do in our lives. Jesus says, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like we said, in the Feast of Booths, whenever the Jews looked up at those 75 foot tall lamps that were illuminating the entire city of Jerusalem, they thought about the pillar of fire. They thought about how important it was to follow God. They thought about how God had lit up the path of their ancestors as they were wandering in the wilderness. Jesus says, if you choose to follow Me, then you're not going to walk in darkness. If you choose to follow Me, then you're not going to walk in the darkness of your sin, the darkness of this world, the darkness of guilt, the darkness of shame, the darkness of brokenness. He says you're not going to live your life in darkness, but instead you are going to have light. But not just light. The light 
of life. Jesus says whenever we choose to follow Him, He brings us out of the darkness and into the light. He brings us out of death and into life. If you were to wander through the woods at night, who would you want to follow? If you're like me, I would want to follow somebody who has a flashlight because they're able to see where they need to go. They're able to overcome the darkness that's surrounding you. As we wander through this dark world, as we wander through the darkness of, of sin and death and guilt and shame, as we wander through the darkness of our own brokenness, who do we choose to follow? Jesus says, look at who I am. I'm the light of the world. Not the light of Jerusalem, not the light of the temple, but the light of the world. And when you choose to follow after me, I'm going to lead you out of your darkness and into the light of life. But then there's always that little voice of doubt, isn't there? Jesus, I understand what you're saying here. I understand what you're telling me about your identity. I understand what you're telling me about what you have to offer me. But I'm just not so sure you'd want to do that for somebody like me. Jesus, apparently you don't understand the darkness that's in my heart. Apparently you don't understand the darkness that I have immersed my life into. Apparently you don't know about the darkness and the sin and the evil that's in my life. The darkness, the sin, the evil that's in my past. I can certainly see how that would be possible for other people. But I just don't see how that would be possible for me. Whenever we think of something as unbelievable, we want proof, right? If somebody says something that's hard to believe, then we want them to prove it. Whenever I was about eight or nine years old, fast forward through a few slides there, whenever I was about eight or nine years old, Steve McNair came to my elementary school. And it was a really neat experience. Somebody had connections with him. My elementary school was the smallest elementary school in the entire county. But yet one Saturday, Steve McNair came out, he gave a speech and signed some autographs. I got a hat signed by him and thought it was something that was really, really neat. Remember, I was telling somebody about that a few years ago, and he refused to believe me. <laughs> yeah, right. Steve McNair came to your elementary school. There, there's no way that Steve McNair came to small rural Tucker's Crossroads in Wilson County, Tennessee. So you know what I did? Walked into my closet pulled out my Titans hat that had his signature on it, showed it to him. I didn't write that myself. I didn't copy Steve McNair's signature. Here's Steve McNair's signature right here. Even though I provided proof, he still refused to believe me. And so we look at Jesus' claim in John chapter 8 and verse number 12. It's a pretty big claim, isn't it? It's a claim that can be hard to believe. Maybe we look at Jesus' words in John chapter 8 and verse 12 and we respond by saying, prove it. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, I want you to prove that to me. Prove to me that you're the light of the world. Prove to me that if I choose to follow you, then I'm not going to walk in darkness. Prove to me that whenever I decide to follow you, I'm going to have the light of life. Fast forward just a little bit, if you have your Bible open, to John the ninth chapter. 
We could spend a lot of time in John chapter 9 walking throughout the entirety of this chapter. I believe there's 41 verses in the chapter. There's a lot that takes place in John 9. We're going to set our sights on the first seven verses of John chapter 9. And as we look at the first seven verses of John chapter 9, I want you to notice how Jesus provides proof for the claim that He makes in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, this is who I am. I'm the light of the world. And if you choose to follow me, then you're not going to walk in darkness, but you're going to have the light of life. Jesus, I want you to prove that. That's exactly what Jesus does in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And and so let's notice this together. When you look at John chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road. And as they were passing by, the text says that they saw a man who was blind from birth. This man... You can imagine how difficult it would be to live his life. If you were to take a second to close your eyes, think about what you would see whenever you close your eyes. That's what this blind man saw every single day of his life since the day that he was born. All that he saw was darkness. Whenever we see this man who had been blind from birth, literally, this man is engulfed in darkness. All he has ever seen is darkness. All that he has ever experienced is darkness. He's never seen the light of day. He's never seen the light of life. And so Jesus and his disciples pass by this man. He's been blind from birth. He's always seen darkness. Never seen anything but darkness. Jesus' disciples have a question that comes to their mind. Back in this time, Palestinian Jews believed that suffering and sin were connected. They believed that they were causally connected. In other words, if you had suffering in your life, you must have done something bad to cause that suffering. If you did something bad, then you must have done something really sinful and really evil in order to invite that suffering into your life. Jesus is their rabbi. Jesus is their teacher. They have this burning spiritual question in their mind as they pass by this man who had been born blind. So they ask it. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. It's got to be one of the two. And then there are only two options here. There were many Jews who believed that babies could actually sin in the womb. And so maybe this man sinned in the womb and brought this upon himself, or his parents must have done something really bad for him to suffer in this way and to have this kind of disability. There's only two options here. Somebody sinned, somebody did something wrong for this man to be born blind. So who was it? Was it this man or was it his parents who sinned? How did Jesus respond? Jesus said neither. See, sin and suffering are not always connected. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This man was born blind, but it's not because somebody sinned or did something really bad or done something really evil. He said this man was born blind. Why? So that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born blind, but it wasn't because somebody sinned. It was so that the works of God can be put on display in his life. Okay, Jesus, pause. When is that going to happen? It hasn't happened to this point in his life. He's gotten to adulthood. Now he's a beggar on the side of the street. And and nobody's seen the works of God displayed in this individual. When's that going to happen? Verse 4, Jesus says it's going to happen immediately. It's going to happen with urgency. He says, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day because the night is coming when no man can work. 
Notice the light and darkness contrast there. It's the same contrast that we see in John chapter 8 and verse 12. The works of God are going to be displayed in this man. And we're going to do it immediately. We're going to do it with urgency. We have to work the works of God while it's day. Because the night is coming when no one can work. We have to do it while it's still light because the darkness is coming. This is going to happen immediately. Okay, Jesus, pause again. Who's going to do it? If the works of God are going to be displayed in this blind beggar's life, and it's going to happen urgently, it's going to happen immediately, who's going to bring that about? In verse 5, Jesus points to Himself. As long as I am in the world, what does the text say? I am the light of the world. Go back to John chapter 8 and verse 12. Who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. Look at John chapter 9 and verse 5. When Jesus is confronted with the darkness of the blind man, how does he identify himself? I am the light of the world. That's the point that John wants us to get. When we read through John chapter 8, whenever we read through John chapter 9, he wants us to know who Jesus is, and he wants us to know what Jesus offers. Jesus is the light of the world. And when we follow Him, we don't walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. Okay, give me proof of that. Keep reading in verse number 6. Jesus does something that would have been kind of odd to us. We probably wouldn't have done this, but back in this time it would have made a little bit more sense. He spits on the ground, makes mud with His spit in the dirt, takes the mud saliva, spreads it on the blind man's eyes, and tells him, go across town here in Jerusalem and wash that off in the pool of Siloam. You think the blind man would have been a little bit confused by that? I mean, can you put yourself in his shoes for just a second? You're a blind beggar on the side of the street. You've been blind since birth. Nobody ever pays attention to you. But then here comes a stranger. Somebody you've never met before. Someone you don't know. And they take mud mixed with saliva. They put it on your face and tell you to go across town and wash in the pool of Siloam. Would you have had some questions about that? I imagine the blind man had some questions about that. Even though he might have had questions. Even though he might have been confused. He still had a choice to make. Is the blind man going to follow what Jesus said? And have light? Or is he going to reject what Jesus said and continue to live in darkness? Is he going to obey Jesus? Or is he going to disobey Jesus? Is he going to step into the light? Or is he going to remain in darkness? What choice does he make? John chapter 9 and verse 7. He went. He washed. He did what Jesus told him to do. He followed Jesus' instructions. And what was the result? He came back seeing. Can you imagine what it would have been like in that moment for the blind man? When he goes to the pool of Siloam and he washes the mud off of his eyes, he brings his head up out of the water, wipes the water from his eyes, and for the first time, he doesn't see darkness. For the first time, he sees light. He looks down in the water and for the first time sees his own reflection. He looks up at the sky and for the first time sees the clouds and the sun and the bright blue sky as the backdrop. He looks around the pool of Siloam where there would have been a lot of different people and he sees these individuals that he's surrounded with. He 
might not have even known there were that many people there, but now he's able to look at them in the face. Can you imagine the expression that he would have had as the darkness faded away and the light finally came? What did Jesus say in John chapter 8 and verse 12? I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you see how that's proven? Can you see how that's demonstrated in this story? Jesus says in verse 5, I'm the light of the world. The blind man chose to follow Jesus. He chose to obey Jesus. He did what Jesus told him to do. And as a result, he was no longer walking in darkness, but instead had light. But if you keep reading, Jesus didn't only open up His physical eyes. Jesus opened up His spiritual eyes. Jesus did not only remove His physical blindness, He removed His spiritual blindness. If you go to the end of the chapter, this is John chapter 9, beginning in verse number 35. There's of course a lot that happens in the middle of verse 7 and verse 35, particularly with the Pharisees who think that they see, but actually they're blind. They think that they're in the light, but actually they're in the darkness, which we need to be careful that we don't find ourselves there. Oh, I can see. I'm, I'm, I'm not blind. I'm not in the darkness because look at how great I am. Look at all these great things that I do. Jesus says, if you think that you see, be careful. You might actually be in the darkness. And if you're in the darkness at the very end of the chapter, your guilt remains. But then look at the blind man. Jesus reconnects with the formerly blind man in verse 35 and asks him the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? He responds in 36, who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? Well, yeah, I, I, I want to believe in Him. I want to place my trust in the Son of Man, but I don't know who He is. Jesus says you're looking at Him. Which is pretty powerful because up to this point in His life, He'd never been able to look at anybody. You're looking at the Son of Man. You're listening to the Son of Man's voice. What did He say in response? Lord, You're the one in control. You're the one in charge. I recognize that You're the Lord. I believe. I'm placing my faith in You. I'm placing my trust in You. And He falls down at Jesus' feet, the text says, and worships Jesus. Now what about us? You feel like you can relate to the blind man at times? Do you feel trapped in the darkness? Do you feel trapped in the darkness of your sin? Your brokenness? Your guilt and your shame? Have you aligned yourself with the darkness of this world? And it's something that you're struggling to get out of. It's something that you're struggling to get freedom from. Something that you're struggling to liberate yourself from. Do you have darkness living in your heart? Do you have darkness living in your life? What does Jesus say? I'm the light of the world. And if you choose to follow me, what have we been talking about in this series of lessons? Following Jesus. If you choose to follow me, then you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. But then we doubt that. Jesus, I'm not so sure you could do that for somebody like me. I'm not so sure you could bring somebody like me out of the darkness and into the light. You must not know what I've sold myself into. Do you need proof that Jesus can do this? 
Do you need proof of who Jesus is? Do you need proof of what Jesus is capable of doing in our lives? Look at the blind man. He was led out of darkness and into light. His physical blindness was cured so that he was able to look upon Jesus' face. His spiritual blindness was cured so that he was able to place his faith, his trust in Jesus as the Son of Man, falling down and worshiping at his feet. If Jesus brought this blind beggar out of the darkness and into the light, you know what I'm confident of? Do you know what I'm persuaded of? If Jesus did it for him, then he can do it for you too. If Jesus brought this blind beggar out of darkness and into light, then He can do that for you. And He can do that for me. Jesus is the only one who can do this. He's the only one who can rescue us from the darkness of this world and bring us into the light of life. He is the only one who stands as the light of the world. That's a possibility. Sitting on the table for all of us this morning. And the beauty of it is that it doesn't just have to be a possibility. The possibility of John chapter 8 and verse 12 can become a reality in our lives if we'll just make one decision according to Jesus. Follow me. Notice there are no exceptions and no exemptions. Whoever follows me as the light of the world will not walk in darkness, but that person will have the light of of life. We, we've talked about following Jesus from several different perspectives. We've talked about the motivation in following Jesus. We've talked about the cost of following Jesus. We've talked about the priority in following Jesus. The essentials in following after Jesus. Now pause and ask, what can Jesus do in my life? What can Jesus do in my eternity? How can Jesus change my life? How can Jesus transform my life? Jesus says, you just make one decision and I'll lead you out of the darkness and into the light. Are you willing to follow Him? Are you willing to make that one decision? If you're not a Christian, are you willing to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? To wash away your sins? To align yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. To die to self and be buried in the waters of baptism. To be raised up to walk in newness of life. Are you willing to follow Jesus there? If you are a Christian, are you willing to lay your life down as a living sacrifice? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Are you willing to take everything that you have and everything that you are to lay down at Jesus' precious feet? Are you willing to follow in His footsteps regardless of where you go, regardless of who you're around, regardless of what you do? Are we willing to follow Jesus? It's time to leave the darkness behind, don't you think? It's time to leave the darkness where it belongs. Follow Jesus out of darkness and into the light as together we stand and sing.